Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. And before we really dive in, let me kind of set up our time for us this morning. Uh, my granddad served in the Korean War. And in fact, he wrote about it in a book of memoirs that he put together. So um, if you're looking for a light read or um, a doorstop, um, P.S. I Remember More by Mac McLean. Uh, you cannot find it online. No one would publish it. <laughs> Uh, but in this, what he says is a story. Um, he spent a good amount of time in uh, the military and in the military, in the Korean War, he took up the position as the guy who would walk out in front of tanks with a mine detector looking for mines. Now, I don't know how they assign things in the military, but man, what a job to stand between a tank and potential threat and to go out before. And I remember thinking, man, why would my granddad do this? And he told me a story of why. You see, whenever he was in his base camp, this new commander came in. And most commanders, when they would come in, they would you know, walk into their position and kind of start kind of demanding authority. You know, in the military, you salute the, the rank, not the man. And so most commanders would come in and kind of just kind of demand you to follow them. But this commander was different. This commander came in and for a solid month started in the lowest position and moved his way up every single day to the position that he actually already held. And so though he was the commander of this entire uh, military base, the first thing he did was clean the latrines alongside of his other men. The next day he had kitchen duty. Hopefully he washed his hands before, you know, but from there, laundry duty. And he kept doing those things, moving up over and over and over again to a point in which every single time he was in these different positions, the men would ask him the same thing. Hey, why are you doing this? You don't have to be doing this. You're the commander of this base. Why are you in this position? And he always answered the same way. He said, because I wanna know what I'm asking of my men so that when I make a command, I know fully what to expect of them. And so what do you think that did in the hearts of those men? Well, my granddad told me. He said it did two things for them. One, it gave them an earnest desire to follow him. And two, it gave them an easy access to approach him. That they could go to him like a friend. In many ways, he was just one of the guys. But he would respond as their commander, as their leader. Anytime a new commander came into their camp, every man instinctively began to ask themselves the question, hey, can I really follow this guy? And this man, this individual, emphatically answered that question. Not because of just who he was, but what he did. Now, why do I mention that to you? Because as we've been moving through the book of Hebrews, we've been seeing who Jesus is. And now we're gonna be seeing what he is doing. And the reality of it is like many of us come before God with some preconceived notions about God or some questions that we really have about God. Like, is he good? Can he be trusted? Should I follow him with everything in me? And why should I do that? Does he really get what's going on in my life and my world? And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has emphatically answered that question with a resounding yes. 
that you can follow him, you can know him as he leads you through this journey called life. And so just like the commander of my granddad's army, Jesus assumed the lowest position. He was in the highest position, God. You don't get much higher than God. But what did he do with that? He came lowly so that he can sympathize with us. He came to the lowest position and experientially went through everything we did, yet without sin. But then he stepped into the highest position so that he could lead us, so that we can go to him like a friend, but he would respond as our leader, as our commander. That's what Jesus has done. And everything I just declared can be summarized in a title that Jesus holds called the Great High Priest. The Great High Priest. You see, we've been moving through the book of Hebrews and we've seen these major movements in the book of Hebrews, the superiority of Christ in chapters one through three, and now we're in the superiority of Christ's work. So not only is who Jesus is better than anything that's come before, but what Jesus has done is better than anything that's come before. And for these next several chapters, from chapters four through 10, what we're gonna see over and over and over again is everything that Jesus has done for us, for me, for you, can be summarized in this idea that he is our high priest. Now I'm assuming most of us didn't wake up this morning going, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, that Jesus is my high priest. Like I don't think that that's probably top of our mind. For me, I woke up this morning thanking the good Lord that my child slept mostly through the night, right? I was like, yes, Lord, (laughs) oh my gosh. It's amazing, Um, sleep, who knew? But right here, Jesus being our high priest is a summary of everything that he does for us. And so that's where we're gonna linger this morning and that's where we're gonna keep coming back to over the next couple weeks. And as we do so, we're gonna see that Jesus is better. He's a better high priest. And as we dig more into this area that maybe we're a little bit unfamiliar with, we're gonna see that we can hold fast to our confession. We can draw near with confidence because Jesus is the better high priest. Throughout this series, we've said over and over and over again, don't drift away, draw near because Jesus is better. And that's exactly the movements of this passage. Don't drift away, no, hold fast to your confidence. Draw near, draw near with confidence. Why? Because Jesus is better. And today we're looking at the fact that he's the better high priest. And the hope of this morning is we would leave like those men left, knowing that Jesus is worth following with everything in you while he's so easy to approach. And so let's dive in. The reality that we are called to hold fast to our confession. You see, verse 14 begins this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has been passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so the passage is all about this one central reality about the person of Jesus, that he is our high priest. Now, what does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I actually grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And so when I think priest, I think a certain individual that I go to periodically, I confess my sins to so that he can put a good word in with God. And as I do that, he tells me what I need to do in order to be right with God. Is that what this is? No. Just to be clear. A high priest was somebody throughout the scriptures that had a specific task. It was someone who stood before God and man to atone, to mediate, and to reconcile. 
And so the Old Testament has all of these different shadows. And then when Jesus walks on the scene, the substance belongs to him. And so this was a shadow of Jesus. And so let's look at the shadow so we can celebrate the substance that's Jesus all the more. You see, the Old Testament centers around God moving and working through his people known as the Israelites. These were a chosen group of people, a chosen nation. And God said, I wanna bless you so that you bless the world so that the world would know that I am God, I'm the Lord, I'm Yahweh, I'm close, I'm intimate, and yet I'm strong and I'm powerful. I wanna use you to bless you and to bless the world. And this group of people was broken into these 12 tribes. And each of these tribes had different functions. They had different places that they lived. They had different roles that they kind of stepped into. And one of the predominant roles was the priesthood, which was taken by the Levites. The Levites were the priesthood. This entire tribe was there to connect, to be a mediator between God and God's people. And yet, there was one individual that was appointed by God for a very specific task. This individual was called the high priest. And what the high priest was there to do was predominantly every single year on what's called the Day of Atonement, Atonement means at one mint, unity with God. The singular day of the year, the high priest would take an innocent lamb, one that had no spots, no blemishes, and would sacrifice it for the sins of the people. And the high priest would bring the blood of the innocent lamb into what's called the holy of holies, the place where God's presence was seen to dwell. He would move past this curtain that was separating the Holy of Holies from everything else, and he would move into it, and when he moved into it, he would take the blood of an innocent and put it over what's called the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God, so that when God looked down upon his people, he didn't see us for our sins or our messed upness. What was in this box was the 10 Commandments. And so when God looked down upon us, he didn't see how we have kept or broken the law, but rather he saw the blood of an innocent lamb sacrificed for our sins. And because of that, he could, we could walk in his presence, feel his power, walk in his provision. And throughout all of this, what we see is that all of this was a symbol for something greater that was gonna come. That's why Jesus isn't called a high priest here. He's called the great high priest the better high priest, because he didn't go through some curtain, but rather it says he's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, that God so loved us that he sent his son to live amongst us, to be what this passage was called, the great high priest, to mediate, to reconcile, to atone us before a living God. And the greater high priest is here and he didn't pass through a curtain. He passed into the holiest of all places, the heavens of God, to enter into God's presence, to sit at the right hand of God so that he could pray for you and he can mediate for you and he could speak his love over you so that when we die and we stand before him, we see him there welcoming all people with open arms. And that's why right here, right now, it says that we can hold fast to our confession in him. We can cling to him today because he is praying for you today, right here, right now, speaking into the ear of God the Father in this very moment. And so that word, hold fast, it's actually, we're gonna see it later on, it's gonna be used as like this anchor in the midst of a storm. 
that whether the storm in your life is a hard situation or a temptation that you're dealing with or just a struggle that you kind of keep coming back to, the idea is this, man, in the midst of the craziness around me, I have something that's so much more powerful that I can hold on to, I can hold fast to. It can be an anchor for me in the midst of the storm. And so what we see here is that Jesus came as the highest of high God. And he walked into our world and he was the great high priest, but what did he do with that position? He became the lowest to experience every single thing that you and I experience, yet without sin. That's what the passage says. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why hold on to Jesus? Why follow him? Because like that commander, Jesus entered into our situation, our world. He was of the highest position, God. And yet he came to the lowest position to experience everything that we've experienced. And yet he did it without sin. The storm of this world slammed into him full force. And we saw in his life that he was strong enough to take it and loving enough to want to. That is who Jesus is. He has experienced everything. Like right now, you're on a journey in this life. You're moving throughout this life with ups and downs and joys and situations and hardships and celebrations. And what we have with Jesus is someone who has actually walked the journey already. And he has done it without succumbing to temptation, without walking in sin. And so the reason we can hold on to him is because he knows he's been there. One of my favorite things about the person of Jesus is that when we pray to God, God, it hurts. God, this is difficult. God, I'm being tempted. What we hear back from God is not a lecture. It's not a list of how you can get better. But rather, what we hear from God is love. What we hear from God is I know. Because I've been there before. You can go to God and go, God, this situation hurts, and God can say, I know. I've been there before. God, I've lost a friend. My friend's sick. Someone who I loved is going through a hard season, and God says, I know. I've been there before. You can go to God and say, man, I'm in this, I just feel like I'm just exhausted. I feel like I'm tired. I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over. I just feel like, like there's this long journey ahead, and God says, I know, I've been there before. I've experienced that before. God, I have these physical hurts, I know. God, I feel alone, I know. I'm anxious, friends betraying me, a culture that hates me, I know, I know. I've been there before. You see, for me and my wife, um, this past year, we lost a child in the womb. And I just remember going to God and just crying out to him. And I remember at one of my low points, I just remember crying out to God, God, you have no idea what it's like to lose a kid. And God, so sweetly and so tenderly, you know what he did? He whispered into the deeper levels of my heart through his word and by his community around me, but he whispered deeply into my heart, I know what it's like. I know what you're feeling right now. 
And I didn't just lose a kid, I gave him up for you. Because that's how much I love you. And that alone, man, it didn't change my situation, but it changed my perspective. Because I knew I was on this journey, and yet my good shepherd was there. That he had been with me in the sweet times of life when we found out that we had a kid. And he was with me in the hard moments, and he was able to walk me through it. You see, sympathy is not pulling someone out of their pit. It's crawling in there with them, weeping with them. And what we have with Jesus is that he is loving enough to crawl into the biggest pits of our life, but he's strong enough to do something about it. He's strong enough to change our hearts in the midst of this, because all the while what he is saying to you is this, I know, I've been there, I've walked it, so you can follow me because I won't lead you astray. How do we know Jesus is worth following? Because he's been there before. He's, on, he's been on the journey that you are on right now, yet he did it all without sin, so we can hold fast to our confession. And as we do that, we draw near with confidence, with confidence. Verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. There's only one command in this verse, which is to draw near. It's a powerful word. It's in the present reality that this is not just a quiet time in the morning, but this is an ongoing invitation from God to you. Draw near to me. Every moment of every day, come to me. It's a word used elsewhere in scripture about coming up to a battle line with full confidence that you're gonna win that battle. It's used elsewhere in scripture talking about the Levitical priesthood that whenever they've done everything that was needed for the sacrificial system, God goes, draw near to me. And what God is saying right here, the very heart of God is he wants you to draw near to him. And something we've been saying throughout this entire series is draw near, don't drift away from Jesus, draw near to him because he's better. And the question I have for you is, are you? Because if we're coming in here and we're just hearing some lessons and our lives are not being impacted by the word of God that is living and active, then we are playing a dangerous game and next week we will see how dangerous that game is. But the invitation is so sweet so present, draw near, draw near. We've already seen it in Hebrews, that there's one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is his testimony given at the proper time. We draw near, we draw near. And it says we do it with confidence. That word is co-fide. Co with fide faith. We draw near to God with a faith in God. That as James 4, 8 says, when we draw near to God, what will happen? He'll draw near to us. When we create space to approach the throne of God in moments throughout the day and throughout the day, we have a promise from God that he will draw near. And so the question I have for you is in that moment, what do you think is gonna happen? When the God of the universe is sitting right before you, what do you think that moment's gonna be like? Some of us, we think that he's gonna give us this list of rules, hey, go do better. 
Some of us think that, hey, he's gonna give us this lecture, like, okay, you messed it up here, you messed it up here, you messed it up here. Some of you think it's gonna be apathy from God or annoyance from God or anger from God, and so that's why we don't draw near. So there's this bad view in our head about who God is. I know for me, for years, I didn't wanna draw near to God because I had this bad thought about either I need to go clean up my mess so that God will like receive me well and not just scold me, or I believe that God wanted me to just go figure it out on my own. And yet when you see this passage, where are we drawing near to? Is it the throne of judgment? The throne of anger? The throne of apathy? The throne of indifference? No! It's the throne of grace. The throne of grace. And it's in those moments that God doesn't say, hey, go clean your mess up before you come to me or go figure it out and come and kind of show me your shiny you know, gold star. No, it says when you come in this moment, what you're gonna find is what? Mercy, grace, help. Mercy is the idea of someone who is stronger reaching down to someone who is in need. Grace is unmerited favor. None of us deserve to come before the throne of God, but our high priest has made a way. God has shown us emphatically in the person of Jesus Christ that he is approachable. Jesus literally dwelt among us. You could go talk to him, interact with him. You could ask him questions and he would linger with you. And Jesus answered the very heart of God that he wants you to be near to him, to draw near to him, because what you will find is what you actually need. And so for some of us, we need to do some heart work this week of why do we not approach the throne of God more regularly and with more faith, with more trust, that this is what we are gonna find there. What do you actually think you're gonna find at the throne of God? Because the scriptures are clear. You're gonna find grace. You're gonna find mercy. You're gonna find help. You're gonna find the love of God and the strength of God at the throne of God. And so let's draw near. You need mercy. You need grace. You need help. It's found in one place. Drawing near to the throne of God. Jesus is approachable, and he's made a way that we can approach the very God of the universe and only find grace. So we can draw near with confidence, and when we do, we will find that Jesus is the better high priest. You see, the rest of this passage is gonna emphasize the why. This is the what, hold fast, draw near, and then we're told why. It's because Jesus is who he says he is and he's done what he said he's gonna do. He is the great high priest that steps between a broken humanity and a holy and righteous God. And what we see in the rest of this passage is the author is gonna do something called Hebrew parallelism, okay? Stay with me for a second. Hebrew parallelism, kinda nerdy, but what this was, was it was an argument, it was a technique to kinda show, hey, this is one idea 
in our context, the former priesthood. And then this is another idea, the final priesthood that's found in Christ. And he's gonna put them kind of side by side so that we would see that without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is better than anything that's come before us or anything that ever will be. The final high priest has come and he has showed us emphatically that he is better. And so that's where the passage goes next. The former high priest. Chapter five, verse one says this, for every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with them, with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer uh, offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for him, but only when uh, called by God, just as Aaron was. And so you can read that and go, okay, that's a lot of information about an outdated system. And yet when you begin to see what the author is doing, you begin to see, okay, this is what was. And so we need to understand what was in order to celebrate what now is in Christ. And what we see in every single verse, we see these different things about the former high priest. We see the appointment of the high priest that it was by God to relate man and God in verse one. We see the attributes that he was able to deal gently, but it was because he himself was a mess. He himself was beset with weakness of sin, verse two. We see the activity that because of this, he had to offer sacrifice for his own sins, verse three. And finally, we see the ancestry, where this whole priest line has been coming from, and it's the order of Aaron, the Mosaic covenant. And so what the author is doing is he's showing us, this is what came before, now let's see what is now. Because if you remember, this is where they were tempted to go back to. Persecution, cultural crazy, And they were going, okay, this is more comfortable. This feels more right. And so I'm drifting. I want to kind of drift back. And he's saying all along, don't fall away. Draw near because Jesus is better. So again, I don't know how many of you are waking up going, man, I'm tempted to go back to the former high priest Levitical system. But my hunch is all of us have something in our lives that were from our past before we came to know Jesus that is pulling us back that wants to kind of get us over and we're called to put an anchor in the ground with Jesus to hold fast to him, to draw near. Why? Because something better has come. And that's what the rest of the passage talks about. So let's see how Jesus does against the former high priest. What about his appointment? It says in verse five, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he said also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so right here, what we're seeing is that the entire appointment of the older guard, the former high priest was appointed by God in order to relate man and God. And yet this final high priest, Jesus, was appointed not from God, but appointed as God. He was God. This right here is quoting Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And if you've been with us through the series, you'll see over and over the passage Hebrews keeps going back to this, that, that these passages right here are talking about the messianic king, the, the, uh, the hero of the Old Testament that kept foreshadowing. There's one day gonna come somebody who's gonna make everything right. And they called him the Messiah, which is Hebrew for the Christ. And so the Old Testament's waiting for them. And these two Psalms right here are foreshadowing. And what the author is doing in Hebrews is simply this. Hey, this high priest, this one that would stand between God and man is the son of God. And he's also this priest that steps into the Davidic line, becomes fully human. 
And so where the former high priest was appointed by God to relate God to man, the final high priest, Jesus, was fully God and fully man to connect mankind back to God. So if you're keeping score, point one goes to Jesus, okay? Let's see where point two goes. What about the attributes? It says in verse seven, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with a loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his many, because of uh, his reverence. And so in the days of his flesh is referring to the totality of Jesus's life. Now, if you read the gospels, you can probably think of different moments where you see Jesus doing this. But what this passage is showing us is that Jesus entered into the fullness of humanity the fullness of what it meant to be human. And what did he do when the situations came, the storms came, the temptation came? What did he do? He drew near to the Father. He offered prayers and supplication. He went to God the Father in trust with cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He approaches the throne of God most high as the Son of God, drawing near to the Father God with the trust and a reverence. He experienced everything that we did in the days of his flesh. And so where the former high priest could deal gently because he experienced the weakness of sin, he was a mess like all the rest of us. Jesus was different. He can deal gently because he experienced the weakness, not of sin, but of humanity. He entered into the fullness of our existence. Remaining what he was, God, he became what he was not, human. And he experienced everything and he showed us what it looked like to walk deeply with the Father. Point Jesus. What about his activity? Well, it says in verse eight, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him. Now we can read this verse and it can be a little confusing at first because it says here, wait, Jesus learned obedience? Wait, Jesus was made perfect? What's that about? Well, it's not talking about going from disobedient to obedient or imperfection to perfection. The idea in the Hebrew mindset was that perfection was an idea of completion, wholeness. And so when Jesus as fully God, he entered into full humanity. And by living the life that he did, going through suffering and experiencing that suffering with complete obedience to the Father, he became the perfect substitute for us. He became what we needed not some innocent lamb, animal, but the true lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world so that we could have him as the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey. So his activity was not that he had to offer sacrifice for his own sins, but rather he became the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. Lastly, his ancestry. If you notice back in verse four, it kind of gives this nod to Aaron. Aaron was the first priest of the Mosaic Covenant, all the laws that you think about in your Old Testament. But there was a priest that was before that. And it was a priest called Melchizedek. And it says here in verse 10 that Jesus was being designated by God as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, why is that significant? Well, we're gonna explore more of that when we get to chapter seven. All of chapter seven is about this one guy, Melchizedek. But what we need to know now is simply this that this guy, Melchizedek, was the very first priest of your Bible. His name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem, Jerusalem. And he was the first one 
to intercede on behalf as a priest between God and man. And through the story of Melchizedek in your Old Testament, we see that Melchizedek was better even than Abraham, the original founder of Israel. And so what we're seeing in this moment and what the author of Hebrews is highlighting is that the first priest in our Bible was actually a foreshadow of the final priest that we have in Christ. That something new has come. That Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek because he ushers in a new covenant, a new relationship between God and man. Not one through the law, but one that's done through grace and kindness and forgiveness from our God. So what do we do with all this? You can put this chart, you can print it out, you know, put it above your mantle. Not gonna stop you but this is leading us somewhere. This is meant to give us reason to do the very thing that God has called us to do throughout this passage. So how does this impact us today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives? First, we hold fast to our confession. We know that Jesus is good, can be trusted, and he's worth following, why? Because he entered into everything that we have experienced, and yet he did it without sin. And so in the midst of any situation, any storm, any temptation, you can go to him, because he has walked the path already before you, and he won't lead you astray. Because he has come in the highest of high, and came to the lowest of low, so that we could celebrate, yes, who he is as a person, but what he has done for us. So we hold fast to our confidence, confession. We draw near with confidence, with faith. We can step into the presence of the very God of the universe. God in Christ has declared that he is approachable, that he wants you to draw near so you can bring your hurts, your pains, your joys, your sorrows, your celebrations to him, knowing that you will find not a scolding, not a lecture, not a list of go do better, but you will find grace, you will find mercy, you will find help. And so we hold fast to our confession. We draw near with confidence. But if Jesus is truly our high priest, if that's the role that he has stepped into, then what's our role? Well, 1 Peter 2 will tell us that we become now a kingdom of priests. And what we have to keep growing in is embracing the call of a kingdom of priests. That Jesus has become the great high priest over us as believers. And so we are now a part of that. We are part of what it means to be a kingdom of priests. I was chatting with Jeff earlier this week and and he showed me this verse that just really popped for me. And it was about what it meant to be a priest in the Old Testament as a foreshadowing to the priestlyhood of Jesus and ultimately us. That what the priest did was stand between the dead and the living. And that's what Jesus did for you. That he stood between the deadness of this world and a living God. And the way he connected the living God back to a dead world was he took death upon himself but he didn't stay dead, he became alive so that he could connect us back to God. And now we get the opportunity and privilege to be a kingdom of priests. As we look at our hero, our our Jesus, who has run out before us in everything, we get to look at him as the great high priest and we get to step into what it means to be a kingdom of priests because God has placed you in your job, in your marriage, in your community, 
in your neighborhood, in your groups, in your family, in every situation, because God knows that all around you is things that are dead. And he has placed you in that point to be a kingdom of priests, to connect that which is dead to that which is alive. And that which is alive is Jesus Christ alone. And so you've been placed in a hurting and broken world to point to the healing that's found in Jesus. A dead and broken world to point to the life that's found in Jesus. Moments in which you're around people and they, they think, man, this relationship I'm in is just dead. This marriage that I'm in is dead. And you can call them saying, hey, Jesus can redeem anything. God has placed you in that position to call people from death to life because of the person of Jesus Christ. That is our role. And so why in the world would my grandfather walk out in front of a tank to detect mines? It's because his commander was out in front and he knew he was a part of something to move something that was alive into something that was dead and to bring life and healing and rescue. He knew that his commander was someone that he could approach because he had done everything. He had done everything. And what we have in Christ is something so much better. We have someone who isn't just an example for us to follow, but the person who literally lives inside of us, who empowers us to live out what he's called us to do. And so don't drift away. Draw near to the throne of grace. And when you do, what you're gonna find there is Christ himself. Because before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who forever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bend thee hence depart. We have a great high priest in Jesus. So don't drift away, draw near because Jesus is better, he's better. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.